First Samuel chapter 2. Thank you, ladies, for playing. And let's look the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this day that we can come together uh, to worship you. We thank you, Father, that we can come and uh, exalt your holy name. We thank you, Father God, for the privilege of prayer. We pray, Father God, for those who are not well today. We do ask that you'd have your healing hand upon them. We do thank, Father God, of uh, Stephen and Daniel. And just pray that you would uh, restore them back to health and strength. Pray, Lord God, you continue to have your hand upon Wendy and uh, upon uh, Tegan and uh, Pastor Lanahan and Grandma Dee, Father. Just pray that, Lord, you continue to work in their lives. We pray for Angela, too, that you continue to work there. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you just uh, have your hand upon those that are not well today, that you would strengthen them in you. Lord God, that you would indeed lay your healing hand upon them. We pray that, Father God, that you would uh, uh, make your presence known to them. Uh, Father God, each day you would strengthen them and Lord, just bless. We pray, Father God, that you bless now as we continue this service. We ask, Father, that you'd give wisdom uh, to uh, me as I preach, that, Lord God, that I'd have clarity of thought. Lord, I'd be used of you to be a blessing today. Lord, we might leave this place uh, rejoicing in you, knowing that we've been in your presence. Uh, guide our time now around your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we all know, today is Father's Day, the day that uh, we are taking the time to remember our fathers, to give thanks unto the Lord for our dads and all that they do for us. I trust that it's not the only time of the year that we do that, but uh, uh, we do say thank you to our dads at other times during the year. But this is the special day where we remember fathers. And I, as I consider today, the name that came to my mind was a man by the name of Eli. And uh, the story of Eli's family is a tragic story. In fact, the story of Eli's family is so tragic that uh, it raised a red flag to warn Christian fathers and mothers about the perils of irresponsible child-rearing. Eli, at this time of 1 Samuel chapter 2, was the priest and judge of Israel. And he was the father of two sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas. And although he was a great priest and a great judge, unfortunately he was a careless father as reflected in his sons. I want you to notice me, first of all, this morning, the evil deeds of Eli's sons disclosed. The evil deeds of Eli's sons disclosed. As we try to learn some principles from uh, this story of Eli and his sons that might help us as fathers and as mothers in raising our children. The evil deeds of Eli's sons disclosed. In verses 12 to 25, we're not going to read all of them again, but just verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. In studying First Samuel chapter 2, it's undeniably clear that Eli's sons failed to love God. And instead, they love themselves. And this self-love that they had for themselves corrupted the priesthood. It corrupted uh, their testimony. It defrauded the people and it angered the Lord. 
So much so that when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 2, we find that God's about to replace Eli and his sons from the priesthood by Samuel. They're identified here in verse 12 as the sons of Belial. The word Belial means worthless people who openly practice lawlessness. Worthless people who openly practice lawlessness. In fact, verse 12 tells us that they did not know the Lord. Even though their father Eli knew the Lord, that knowledge has not been passed upon to his sons genetically. They had to know the Lord personally. They had to know the Lord for themselves and they did not know him. You know, it can be difficult growing up in a Christian home. It can be a difficult thing for a child to come to a true and genuine knowledge of the Lord when they grow up in the environment of a Christian home where they're taught Christian principles and they're uh, taught Christian truths and they're brought up in a church. Sometimes it's very hard for young people in that scenario to come to know the Lord for themselves. They just can't assume that because their parents know the Lord, because they go to church and everything else, they assume that they know the Lord also. They know the talk, they know the walk, but they don't know the Lord. And what young people need, what all of our children need and our grandchildren need is for them to have a personal, passionate relationship with the Lord. They need to know the Lord for themselves. And as parents, as fathers, it's our responsibility to help them to come to a knowledge of God for themselves. Not just to, to somehow uh, buy, uh, you know, they think by osmosis they're going to pick it up because we live a Christian life before them, we take them to church, and somehow they're just going to absorb it because it doesn't happen that way. We have to take active steps to ensure that our children get to know the Lord, that we teach them of the Lord, that we take time uh, daily to speak to them about the Lord, just like the Lord told the, the Jews in, the, uh, in Deuteronomy. They were told that what they had to do was they had to make sure that they... This is going to fall off, isn't it? Uh, they had to make sure that they had to uh, teach their children in the way when they rose up, when they sat down, in everything they did. And we had to do the same. We had to take time to show our children about the Lord so that they might come to a personal knowledge of him, that they might, first of all, be saved. You know, we need to pray for the salvation of our children, the salvation of our grandchildren, that the Lord might indeed bring them to a saving knowledge of him that they might know him personally and they might come to know him as their saviour. And uh, also, we need to help them to have a personal daily walk with him, that they might know the Lord daily. And we need to show them how to do that by taking them and giving a, a reading to them daily, the scriptures, teaching them all about personal devotions by showing them how to have a devotion life helping our children to know the Lord. See, knowing the Lord isn't enough. Each of us must know him for ourselves. Knowing about him is good, but knowing him personally is imperative. And our children need to have a personal relationship with the Lord, and we need to help them. Now, Eli's sons did not know the Lord, 
and their abominable behavior in the tabernacle confirm their identity as the sons of Belial. Look in verse 13 of the priest custom with the people was, this is what the Eli's sons did, Hophniphanius did, what they did was, uh, with the people was, that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came, while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan, or kettle, or cauldron, or pot, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did, in Shiloh, unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and, and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let not uh, fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as the soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the men of Hord, the offering of the Lord. Here these young men, these priests, Hophni and Phinehas, were breaching the very law that they were supposed to maintain. They were doing the very opposite to what was supposed to be done with regard to the sacrifice. They were sinning against Almighty God, and they were doing it openly, unashamedly, in front of everybody. They didn't care who knew what they were doing. In fact, they threatened the people that if they didn't give them the portion of meat that they required, they would take action against them. And they were wicked in their behavior. This time Israel was morally and spiritually bankrupt. This is the time, the time in which they lived was known, according to Judges 21-25, as a time when everyone did that which is right in their own eyes. Morally and spiritually, Israel was in one of its darkest times. And the nation of Israel desperately needed spiritual leadership. But Eli's sons provided nothing but a bad example for them. You know, we live in a morally bankrupt society. Just look around you, just read the newspaper, just listen to the news, and you find that we live in a morally bankrupt society. And what our children need more than ever is good, godly, spiritual leadership today that they might indeed uh, survive the immoral, uh, the immoral nature of society, that they might grow up godly, they might grow up in this, this wicked world knowing Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, with a personal relationship with him, with convictions that enable them to stand up for righteousness. Someone online, Eli had failed his sons, and they now were leading the nation deeper and deeper into immorality, deeper and deeper into wickedness, deeper and deeper away from the Lord. When the nation needs spiritual leadership, they offer them nothing of the sort. Eli's sons as priests should have led the people to God. Eli's sons led the people away from God. In fact, we're told in verse 17 that Hophni and Phinehas abhorred the offering of the Lord. Look in verse 17. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. People hated the offering of the Lord because of the behavior of Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas, these, these priests, these protectors of the law, these ones who ought to have been protecting the offerings made unto God, had caused the people to hate the offerings 
because of their behavior. They cause the people to hate worshiping God because of the behavior of the ones who should have been leading them to God. You know, it should never be true as us as parents that somehow we, by our behavior, turn our children away from the Lord. Our behavior ought to draw them unto him. Our, our testimony ought to be such that it draws them to the Lord. It ought to cause them to love the Lord because of our testimony, because of the way we live before them, the way that we act before them. We ought not to be pushing our children away from God by our behavior. Our children should never be able to say, I hate God because of my parents. That was true of Hophni and Phineas. The people abhorred the offering of the Lord because of Hophni and Phineas. They showed disrespect for the sacrifices. But more than that, they also had no regard for the women who served at the door of the tabernacle. Look at verse 22. Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle, the congregation. Now, God was not going to allow them to defile the priesthood in this way. They defiled the offering. They defiled the women. And in so doing, they defiled the office of priest. And God was not going to allow that to happen indefinitely. He is ready now to clean house. Now, the question that came to my mind that needs to be asked when you get to verse 22 of this chapter is how did they get to this place? How is it that a godly man like Eli raised two sons like Hophni and Phinehas who had so corrupted the sacrifices and corrupted the service of priests that they were laying with the women at the door of the tabernacle, how did we get here? After all, Eli was a good priest. Eli was a good judge. But his sons were wicked. Now we're not told how it all came to pass. But maybe we have an insight into what contributed at least to the behavior. In, in our second point this morning, which is the reproof which Eli gave his sons. Maybe in this reproof that he gave to his sons, we have a slight clue, a slight insight into at least the things that contributed to the behavior and didn't help off Phineas. In verses 22 to 25, we read, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. How they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said to them, Why do you... Ye such things, for I hear of your evil dealings by all this people, nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. We're told that Eli was very old in verse 22. Now, Eli was very old. And he could not, at this time in his ministry, he could not go and inspect for himself the service of the tabernacle. 
as he'd done in previous years. He is very old now, and he leaves the responsibility to the maintaining of the tabernacle to his sons. And his sons, because of his infirmity of his age, did as they pleased. They were unshackled from their father, and they just did whatever they wanted to do. <coughs> Excuse me, here in the tabernacle. Now Eli was told of their wickedness, we're told in verse 22. Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. He told of their wickedness and we may well imagine that it brought heartbreak to this godly man, Eli. And it must have added to his burden of his age, of his old age. But what's evident from this passage of scriptures is it seems that he did not reprove them until he heard of their debauching the women at the door of the tabernacle. It's only then that he seems fit, sees fit to rebuke them. Because it says in verse 22 that he heard how they lay with the women of the, that assembled at the door of the tabernacle, of the congregation, and it's then that he said unto them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings, by all this people. He's heard of this, but now for the first time he actually goes and he rebukes them. He challenges them. He rebukes them for their greediness. He rebukes them for their past behavior. But you know, if he'd done this in the past, if he'd done it when he first heard of their behavior, maybe he could have prevented the events of chapter 2 here. An author said, young people should be told of their faults as soon as it is perceived that they are being, begin to be extravagant, lest their hearts be hardened. You know, how tragic it is when a child of God fails to see his children trust Christ. Now that may happen, no matter how skillful a parent is in parenting. I understand that. I understand that children have a free will and children have to choose of their own free will to believe in Jesus Christ their Savior. And it is possible, even with great parenting skills and being wonderful examples and wonderful testimonies, it is possible for a child to grow up without knowing the Savior. I understand that. But how awful it is when parents through neglect or through pa poor parenting and a poor testimony contribute to or bring about wickedness and disobedience in their children. And that's Eli. Eli is a godly man, but he's neglected to discipline his children. He's neglected to rebuke his children. He's left them to themselves, and now he is wearing the consequence of his failure. In Eli's case, he really had no one else to blame, at least in part, but himself. Because I want you to notice for me that the reproof, the reproof that he gave was very, first of all, was very just and rational. Verse 23. And he said unto them, Why do ye, why do ye such things? For a hair of your evil deeds by all the dealings by all the people, nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. 
you make the Lord's people transgress. If a, one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat him? He shows them, here in this rebuke, he shows them the bad consequence of their sin. So I've heard what you're up to. And if one person sins against another, then the judge judges that. But when you sin against the Lord, who is going to plead on your case? Who's going to go and stand before God on your behalf? Because God knows all things. There is no, there is no defense for your behavior. There is no calling before God and saying there's mitigating circumstances. You've sinned before Almighty God and God will judge. If they sinned, they had made Israel the sin. And because of that, they were going to have the people's sin to account for, as well as their own, because the people are behaving the way they are. They, they indeed uh, abhorred the offering of the Lord because of the behavior of Hophni and Phinehas. I mean, think about it. Their condition, their behavior is so deplorable that their own father cannot even find a good word to defend them before the Lord. He says that in verse 25, If one man sins against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Don't expect me to speak on your behalf. Their behavior is so wicked that there's nothing good that he can say about his own son. Now, to Eli's credit, when he heard what his sons were doing, he did confront them. It says in verse 23, And he said unto them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil deeds by all this people. So he did, to his credit, rebuke them, but the rebuke was too little and too late. It's too late, as verse 25 tells us, the end notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of, the Lord, of their father because the Lord would slay them. God had already said he was going to finish their priesthood. And his warning was too little, too late. In verse 23, he basically says to him, when, when they say, why, when he asks the question, why do, you, uh, why do you do such things? Basically what he says is to them, he's asking the question, you know, why are you doing this? Now, it's an understandable question, but it's a needless one. Because who cares why they're doing it? Could there ever be a justification or a reason for their behavior? It really is a silly question, why are you doing it? doesn't matter why they were doing it. They'd done it, and it was wrong. You can't... The, Eli and the Hophni and Phinehas could not excuse their sinful behavior. They were accountable. That's why he says in verse 25 that the Lord shall judge them. They're accountable. You know, Eli did about the worst thing that a parent can do when trying to correct his children... He just talked. 
All he did was simply talk to them about what they were doing wrong, but he never took necessary actions to correct the problem. He did nothing to stop them doing it. He'd heard of what they were up to. And he did nothing about it. In fact, uh, the, the word heard there it carries the idea of he, he heard over and over and over again. This was a continual hearing. He, the report had come to him many, many times. And it's not until finally they get too far and they debauch the women at the door of the tabernacle. It's then that he says something. It's too little, too late. You know, as parents, as well as talking to our children about the consequence of their sin, we need to take action to correct their behavior. It's no good just talking to them about it. You know, now, little Johnny, don't you know that that's wrong? You know, you've got to take action. You've got to do something to correct the behavior. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to teach them the truth and we're to help them by, by the means of correction to do that which is right. Discipline is a biblical principle. You know, it is true. The Bible says spare the rod and spoil the child. The foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from them. There's a need for both of these things, for the correcting hand as well as the instructing hand. They both need to be there if the child is to grow up in the knowledge of the glory of God, that they might know the truth and not just right, that they might live for the Lord. But in Eli's case, or rather Eli's son's case, it was too late. They just ignored him. Verse 25 says, notwithstanding they hearken not unto the voice of their father. <coughs> they didn't listen to him. It really is too bad that Eli did not invade into the lives of his children while they were young. And we cannot help but wonder why Eli didn't restrain his sons earlier. Why didn't he intervene earlier? Why didn't he do something about it earlier? But now the intervention, not only was it too little too late, it was too mild and gentle. He asked the question, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. You should rebuke them sharply. Their crimes deserve sharpness. Their temper needed it. The softness of his dealings with his sons would harm them more. It was too easy to just do what he did. But he said, you know, it's no good report. He should have said, it's a shameful, scandalous thing not to be suffered by the people of something more appropriate. Now, whether it's because he loved them or because he feared them, we don't know. But it was certainly an evidence of his want of zeal for the honor of God in this matter. 
Because if he loved the Lord as much as he said he did, he should have stopped his sons earlier. One commentator said he bound them over to God's judgment, but he should have taken cognizance of their crimes himself as high priest and judge and have restrained and punished them. I mean, after all, he's the high priest, he's the judge of Israel. He could have dealt with his sons. He could have had them removed from the priesthood. He could have had them locked up. He could have punished them for their crimes. He had the judicial authority to do so. He's judge. He had the spiritual authority. He's priest, the high priest. We're not talking about a father here whose hands are shackled because his sons are in the priesthood and he has no authority, no power to remove them from the priesthood or even to have them arrested and judged and and tried and then punished for their crime. He has all the authority. He has all the right. He is priest and judge, and he does nothing except say to them, why do you do such things? It was too mild. It was too gentle. And what he said was right. It was not enough. It's sometimes necessary that we put an edge, if you like, upon the reproofs we give to our children, that we do more than talk to them, that we discipline them with appropriate discipline. They might learn what's right and what's wrong. We have an interesting insight into what contributed to the behavior of Eli's sons in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verses 12 to 13. Samuel 3, let's pick it up in verse 11. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Kind of a telling phrase, isn't it? Eli knew of their behavior. He knew of their iniquity. But he restrained them not. He refused to restrain his sons. In fact, The suggestion here is that he pampered them. The word restrain not means did not frown upon them. To be weak. He failed to curb their wickedness. As we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 23 and 25, he didn't curb their wickedness. He did nothing to stop them behaving the way they behaved. He simply said, why are you doing it? And now he has seen the result of his weak and empty warnings. He heard the report of the son's actions. And as I said, the word heard there means he heard continually over and over again. He heard the reports, but he did nothing. Eli knew that God abhorred what his sons were doing. And now in his old age, he 
finally calls attention to their sin. Because he did not rebuked them while his sons were young, they now showed contempt to their father and contempt to his counsel. In fact, his counsel fell upon deaf ears and they did not listen to him because he failed to restrain his sons while they were young. It was too late to try. Too late to correct them. This had started way before the correction of 1 Samuel chapter 2, and he should have done something about it earlier, but he hadn't done. And now he and the nation are even the consequences. He failed to discipline his children adequately. Now he paid the price of rebellious sons. Dads, we're responsible for raising our children. Think about it, it's an awesome responsibility. We have an awesome responsibility to train our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's our responsibility. And that responsibility has to start while they're young. We, while they're young, we need to help them to understand that God loves them and God cares for them and Christ died for them. And we need to help them to see that there's a loving, caring God. And we need to show them right from wrong. It's not our wives' responsibility alone. It's not their responsibility in their own way to do it by themselves. We are supposed to have an active role in the raising of our children, dads. We need to take the lead. And we need to train them while they're young. We only get one go at it. And trust me, they grow up really quick. Really quick. I look at my grandkids now and they're growing up so quick frightfully hard to realize how old I'm getting when I realize how quickly they're growing up. In fact, one of them's getting taller than me. That's even more, you know, discouraging when you have to look up to your grandson. And, uh, you know, but that's the way life goes. It disappears in a hurry. We only get one go at it. And, And we don't do while they're young. When they're old, they will not listen to us. We fail to discipline our children. We fail to teach them while we have opportunity, while they're, while they're uh, you know, they, they look up to us and they're willing to listen to us. If we don't do it then, time will fly by in a hurry and it'll be too late. And we may not like the consequences. And so lastly, not only would you see the sins of Eli's sons revealed, and not only would you see Eli's poor discipline of his children. But thirdly, we see the severe judgment on Eli. In verses 27 to 36, I'm not going to take time to read the whole passage, but verse 27 we read, And there came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear under the house of thy father when uh, they were in the e- Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be part, to be my priest to offer upon uh, mine altar the burnt incense to wear the ephod before me 
Did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering? And I have commanded in my habitation and honorous thy sons above me to make yourself fat and the cheapest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and thy the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall lightly shall be lightly esteemed. God in his grace sent a messenger with a severe message for Eli came by the mouth of an unknown prophet. We don't know who this prophet was, but he came to speak to Eli. It says in verse 27, and there came a man of God unto Eli. And the warning that his family would suffer because of the sins of his sons and the carelessness of Eli. Look at the telling words in verse 29. Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorous thy sons above me. He honored his sons above the Lord, and that's idolatry. He had more respect, more honor for his children who were living godless, wicked lives than he had for Almighty God. If he'd have honored God more than his children, he would have dealt with his children long ago. But for some reason, Eli feared discipline his children more than he feared his God. And the result was half dying thing is living the way they lived in chapter 2. Eli had not been jealous for his Lord. He'd not been jealous for the glory of God, for if he had been, when he heard continually of their behavior, he'd have done something about it. He'd have called them to, uh, to give account. He'd have judged them. He'd have stopped their behavior. He'd have prevented the people from abhorring the sacrifice because of their behavior. He'd have done something about it. If he loved the Lord, he'd have done something about it. God now has to judge because he pampered his sons. He was to be removed as priest and so was his, so was his family to be removed from the priesthood. It says in verse 34, And this shall be a sign of thee that shall come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. And arise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. It shall come to pass that every one that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver, a morsel of bread, and shall say, put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread 
because of his weak, careless parenting, his family was removed from the priesthood. His sons were both going to die in a day. And his family was going to be begging for a piece of bread. Men, fathers, here's a lesson for us. We need to honor God first. We need to put him first. He needs to be the one that we seek to glory, uh, glorify. He needs the one that we seek to obey. He needs to come first before our children, before our family. He needs to come first so that we have a right perspective on what we need to teach our children so that we're teaching them to honor God, teaching them to live in respect of his will and his wishes and his word, that we indeed are honoring him more than we honor them. Because if we honor them first, we may well end up like Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. We need to put God first. We need to see to it that the, the glory of the Lord comes first in our lives, in our homes, so that our children see that the thing that matters the most to us is God. Not money, not possessions, not anything else, but the Lord himself is the most important person in our lives. We want to honor him. We seek to live for him. We want to do his will day in, day out. What matters is him. See to it that our children see his glory before them in our lives daily. It means you and I are going to have to take the lead to seek to bring our children up in the nurture and mission of the Lord, endeavoring to maintain God's standard in the home. I mean, just taking the lead in daily devotions in the home that we sit our children down and we read to them the word of God, that we show them that the word of God's important, that we lead them in prayer, that we lead them in church attendance, that we lead them in discipline. We even lead them in things like dress standards, in entertainment, in every area of our life. We demonstrate that God is first. They might learn to grow up respecting him as first in their lives, that they learn to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And they learn it because we too seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They see what the priority is in our life, that it becomes a priority in their life. That's we are to be the leaders God intends us to be. Our children to grow up in the way that honors the Lord, they need to see Him in us every day. The calamities which befell Eli's household could have been prevented. Humanly speaking, a large measure of the responsibility fell on Eli's shoulders because he failed to discipline his sons. He was afraid of them or he pampered them or whatever it might be. He failed to put God first. We'll never know what would have happened, what would have been the story of Eli's family if he had exercised leadership over the home. Hophni and Phinehas may well have been as corrupted as they were 
but at least it wouldn't have affected the nation the same. So we don't know what would have happened if Eli had intervened earlier. But you and I have control over the way we lead our families. And the challenge to us is to not be like Eli's careless fathers, but to lead our families to honor and glorify the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this day for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find contained herein. We thank you for stories like the story of Eli that help us learn as parents, as fathers, that we have a responsibility to intervene in the lives of our children while they're young, that we might help them to love and honor and glorify you. Lord, challenge us by your word this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn number 100.